As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. Here's Ken Levine. Stories and laughs and a couple of pranks are the order of the day for this episode. I am the guy that she mentioned. Thank you so much for downloading me, which sounds very strange. On today's episode, I am going to introduce you to some of the strangest, looniest, weirdest writer's assistant that my partner David Isaacs and I have had down through the years. You will not believe some of these stories. Then I'm going to take you back for a couple of radio pranks. One is one that I and another disc jockey at a competing station pulled on the audience, and the other is an absolute classic compliments of the great Gary Burbank. So a lot of fun in today's episode. Let's get it going. Hollywood and the fine. My partner David Isaacs and I have been around so long that writer's assistants were known as secretaries back when we began our career. That, of course, was during the Pleistocene era. But along the way, we have had a couple of very colorful secretaries, and I thought now I would share some of those people with you, and the names have been changed to protect the insane. First of all, when we were at MASH, we had Ellen. Now, understand that I am not complaining about Ellen. Ellen was very attractive. She was in her early 40s, and one day she came in and she said, uh, hey guys, would you take a look at these? Apparently, Playboy magazine was going to do a pictorial on women over 40. So she came in with seven or eight nude photos of herself. And they were very lovely photos, full frontal, everything. And of course, you know, what do you say when your writer's assistant brings you nude photos of herself? You're going, yeah, the lighting is very nice, very good composition. Uh, Whoever took these photos has a very good eye. By the way, who did take these photos? And she said, oh, my son. Like, wow, what? Yeah, she had a teenage son who took nude photos of her. She didn't get the assignment, by the way, but like I said, not complaining about Ellen. We liked her a lot. Then there was Charlotte. Now, here's another thing you have to understand. This was at MASH, and we were 20th Century Fox, and the woman who hired all of the secretaries because your secretary had to come out of their office pool. It was a union situation. Well, the woman who hired all of these other women was fucking batshit crazy. So the women that she would hire were also loons. There was Charlotte. Charlotte came in and she had a nice resume and she said she was very experienced. And the way David and I wrote was that we would be in the room with the writer's assistant. We would dictate the script. At the time, this was before computers, and they would come with a steno pad and they would take it all down in shorthand. And Charlotte said, oh, I'm very well experienced in that. So we said, okay. So we hired her. She seemed very nice. The first day she comes into us at about 10 o'clock in the morning and she says, hey, guys, uh, would you mind if I took an early lunch today? We thought that was kind of strange, her first day and all. We said, uh, I, I guess, sure. Is there some place that you have to be? She says, yes, I'm having an abortion. And we were like, wow, what? 
Charlotte, take the whole rest of the day off. Oh, no, no, no. I'll be back, girly. Don't worry about it. And sure enough, she leaves. And a few hours later, with a little spring in her step, she's back. So, yeah, okay. Then it was time to actually work. And we called her in. And I remember we were writing an OR scene. And an operating room scene is the easiest to write for the writer's assistant because usually it's short staccato dialogue. Hawkeye, clamp, nurse, clamp. Nurse hands Hawkeye the clamp. Hawkeye, suction, nurse, suction. That's it. So we pitch out this scene, and she goes off and she types it up, and then she comes back a few minutes later, and she says, here, take a look at it. It was insane. She had dialogue in the action lines. She had action lines for dialogue. Literally, it was insane. And so we had to fire her. What is it like when having an abortion is not the worst thing that happens to you during a day? Anyway, so much for Charlotte. Then there was Caitlin. Now, Caitlin, (laughs) oh my God. One day, our showrunner, executive producer, Britt Metcalf, came into the office, closed the door behind him and said, your secretary is standing on her fucking head. Sure enough, we peeked out into the office, and there was Caitlin standing on her head. Later that day, we asked her why she did that, and she said, oh, I always do that. Well, what a perfect first impression that makes on anyone entering your outer office. Well, she would come in while we were dictating scripts, and of course, there are those moments when we are searching for a line where we're very quiet. And we would just be sitting there, David and I, looking up at the ceiling and trying to come up with a joke. And all of a sudden, Caitlin would just start chortling. And I turned to her once. I said, Caitlin, what are you laughing at? And she says, oh, I'm just picturing the line you guys are going to come up with and how funny it's going to be. I said, well, do you happen to picture exactly what the line is? Maybe save us some time. (laughs) No, she just thought that was hilarious. Well, she lasted about six months because one day she went to lunch at the studio commissary and it was a very windy, blustery day. She was the only one who sat out in the outdoor patio. I mean, I'm telling you, cows were flying by. It was like one of those days. And a tree branch broke off and hit her and clonked her in the head, and that was it. And then she sued the studio because they wouldn't pay for her holistic medicine. Now, as opposed to Caitlin, there was Lynn. Lynn was kind of a party girl. She stayed out late at night. In fact, she and some of the other secretaries around the lot kind of had a bet to see who was going to sleep with the president of the movie division first. I think Lynn came in second or third, or maybe second and third. Anyway, she would come in every morning and she would be very tired after her long night. And we would call her into the room when we were going to do a script. And she would have her head on the table And she would, like, be napping while we were writing a script. So when there would be one of those pauses where David and I were trying to come up with a line, Lynn had her head on the table. And then I would pitch a line, and David would pitch a line. We'd go, okay, let's settle on that. Okay, uh, Lynn, let's put that down. Lynn. Lynn, Lynn, huh, what? Uh, uh, Okay, she'd lift her head. We'd have to pitch the line. She'd write the line down in the steno pad. 
and then drop her head back down to the table. She didn't last very long either. Eventually, we moved on to Paramount, where we had Claudia. Claudia didn't seem to want to be there from day one. We were taking a final pass at the Big Wave Dave's pilot, and we wanted to send it on to our director, Andy Ackerman, that night. So we said to Claudia, okay, type it up, and we'll take a look at it. We want to messenger it out to Andy. And she said, well, can we do this in the morning? I said, well, no, we really want to get it out to him tonight. And she goes, well, it's 5.30. I said, yeah, so what? It's 5.30. It's not 2.30 in the morning. It's 5.30. And she glared at me and went back into her office and typed it up, came back in, and I made a couple of quick corrections, handed it back to her, said, okay, make these corrections. Let me take a look at it again. She goes, again? I have to do this again? It's now quarter of six. I said, yes. Yes, Claudia, you have to do it again. I want to get this out tonight. And then she puts her hands on her hips and she tilts her head and she says, you know, up until now, I've been very patient with you guys. And David and I were like, just gobsmacked, like, what the fuck? Yes, I've been very patient with you guys. And I said, well, you're going to have to be patient a little bit longer because I want the changes now. And she glared at me and went off and made the changes. And a few days later, she was looking for another job. And all of this brings me to Sally. Ah, sweet Sally. Well, this is when we had a development deal at Paramount. We had our own production company, and the mandate was to sell pilots and get shows on the air. Well, Sally had a very modest apartment in Brentwood, which is on the west side of Los Angeles. It's about a half-hour drive to Paramount, which is in Hollywood. And one morning, her pet parakeet got out of its cage, flew out the window, and then perched on a nearby tree. So when this happens, what do you do? You call the fire department, right? Yes, that's what you would do or... I would do, or maybe any rational person, Ah, but not Sally. She called the Paramount Special Effects Department and ordered that two stuntmen come out to her apartment and retrieve the bird. Okay, so I'm sleeping, and all of a sudden, I get awoken by a phone call, and it's from the Special Effects Department at Paramount Pictures. And I'm like, what? What? And they wanted my okay on this because it would be charged against our development deal. So I said, okay, well, uh, two special effects guys? What? <laughs> how, how much is this going to cost our production deal? They said, $20,000. I said, fuck no. I said, cancel it, for God's sakes, and thank you so much for calling. Well, my phone rang about two minutes later, and it, of course, was Sally, and she was just frantic because Paramount had given her the bad news. Oh, my God, what was she going to do? Anyway, this was essentially our conversation, and it is almost verbatim. I said, did you call the fire department? And she said, well, why would I call the fire department? I said, to get your bird down. She says, there's no fire. I said, well, yeah, they also rescue animals. You've never heard of firemen raising ladders up against trees and saving cats? Well, this is a bird. So what? Do they have nets? How, how, how would I know? Well, how, how do they capture him? 
Uh, I, I don't know. They'll send up the Dalmatian. He'll put it in his mouth. I don't know. And then she says, well, maybe I can pay some kids to climb the tree. I said, just call the fucking fire department. And she says, can I tell them I'm a producer? I said, no, but I want them to come here first. And I was a little taken aback by that. I said, you think they go out on calls based on your status in Hollywood? Well, maybe they're actors. Oh, so if they think you're a producer, they'll recite a monologue from King Lear as they shimmy up the ladder. Well, how else am I going to get them to come out here first? I said, well, tell them the bird was the Maltese falcon. The good news is she got the bird down. We called the fire department of all crazy things. And I'm just glad that she didn't call for the corporate jet to fly her the 10 miles from Brentwood to Paramount. Ugh. That was Sally. I should mention, in all fairness, we also had some wonderful writer's assistants. We had Sue Herring, who unfortunately passed away very young. Lana Lewis. Great thing about Lana Lewis was that we would be working on a line and we would want to maybe do some treacly moment for whatever reason we weren't thinking straight. And Lana would just yell out, Guys, America wants to laugh. America wants to laugh. We go, okay, screw it. Let's come up with a joke. Uh, There you go. We also had a wonderful writer's assistant at 20th Century Fox named Ruth, Ruth Horn. And we hired her freelance to help out when we were rewriting Jewel of the Nile. That was the Romancing the Stone sequel. David and I did the rewrite for Michael Douglas. And it was the first time that David and I had ever done an action film. And so we were going slowly, I guess is a nice way of putting it. Too slow for Ruth. And I remember there was one scene in particular when the Michael Douglas character, Jack, apparently like climbs up a tower and he's trying to save Kathleen Turner, who is imprisoned. And there were a couple of guards. And we were saying, well, does he sneak around the guards? Uh, does he just go past the guards? Does he wait for the guard to make his round? Does he wait for the guard to go to sleep? What does he do? And we're tossing around all of these options back and forth. And finally, Ruth just takes the pen, writes in the steno pad, Jack knocks out the guard and enters the cell. And we go, okay, that's fine. (laughs) Okay, we'll do that. So we've had a a number of very good ones, and the good ones last years and years. The bad ones only last a a few months, although, again, we would have kept Ellen forever. Anyway, those are some of the crazy secretaries that we have had, and I'm sure that anybody who has been in the business for any length of time would have an equal number of stories. This is Hollywood and Levine, coming back with more right after this. Eating out is expensive. I don't have to tell you that. Not only that, but God knows what they put in the food to make it tasty. It's probably all kinds of bad ingredients and butter and MSG. It's better and healthier to eat at home, but don't you often get tired of the same four or five dishes? That is why Blue Apron is for you. Blue Apron is this online service 
where they will deliver to your door as many times a week or as many times a month as you want. They will deliver fresh ingredients so that you can make a delicious home-cooked meal that you know is healthy. It takes less than an hour and it costs less than $10 a meal. Boy, that is so much better on every single level. Like I said, great meals, satisfaction guaranteed under $10. You got to do it. You just got to do it. And I want you to do it. I have an introductory offer for all of my listeners. Here's what you do. You go online and you go to blueapron.com and type in slash Hollywood. Here's what you get. Three free meals and free shipping. So try it. What do you got to lose? Trust me, you are going to love it. Blueapron.com slash Hollywood. Hollywood and Levine. Beaver Cleaver. It was not unusual back in the 60s and 70s for radio stations to play tricks on each other. There was a thing called competition back then. iHeart and Cumulus didn't own 80% of the radio stations in the country. And so radio stations would try to get back at each other by pulling pranks, funny phone calls or destroying each other's contests, that sort of thing. But this is the only time I can think of where two radio stations teamed up to pull a prank on the audience. This was 1975. And in San Francisco, there was quite a battle raging between KFRC and KYA. I was a disc jockey at KYA at the time. I was using the name Beaver Cleaver. And we were the number two station. And that's pretty much my entire disc jockey career. I was always at the other station. There was KHJ Los Angeles, and I was on 10Q. KFRC San Francisco... I was on KYA. CKLW, the big eight, was in Detroit. I was on WDRQ. You kind of get the idea. So I'm doing 10 to 2 at night on KYA, and my competition across town was Bo Weaver. And Bo Weaver, who, by the way, is a great jock and now is an amazing voiceover guy, he's the guy who goes, and now Channel 8 Eyewitness News in 700 markets around the country. Bo and I would get together after the shift and we would get something to eat. Amazingly, back in 1975, there were like three restaurants in all of downtown San Francisco that were still open. We always wound up at the IHOP on Lombard Street. Well, I called him one night and we were talking while we were both on the air. And KFRC had a playlist that was very, very rigid. Meanwhile, where I was at KYA, I could pretty much play anything except the Unicorn song. So one night, I had an idea, and when I'm on the phone with Bo, I said to him, what's the next song that you're going to play? And he told me, and then I said to my engineer, play that same song. And so we played pretty much the same song at the same time, and we laughed about it. And I said, well, what's your next song? And he told me that, and I told the engineer, same thing. We're playing the same songs at the same time. Well, the phones at both stations just went nuts. Like, people were breathlessly telling me that KFRC is playing the same songs that that I was playing. And, of course, I told them that that was absurd. I hated those motherfuckers. 
And Bo told his flabbergasted callers the very same thing. Why would he play the same song as those pathetic losers at KYA? We got a good chortle out of that. And, you know, we decided just to repeat the stunt every night from midnight to 1230. And the listeners were just going batshit. I remember one called the Guinness Book of Records. Another sent me the probability tables. Eventually, the KFRC program director found out about this, blew a gasket, and that was the end of it. It was obviously great fun while it lasted. So now you flash forward a couple of weeks, and the ratings came out. And so from midnight to one, Bo Weaver absolutely creamed me. And I thought to myself, Jesus Christ, how bad am I when we played the exact same damn records at the exact same time? It had to be me. So it's a lesson I learned in television. And when I was on MASH and we were up against Three's Company, no matter how much they begged, I wouldn't give them any of our sucking chest wound jokes And I like to think it's the reason that MASH lasted 11 seasons instead of just six. So thank you, Bo Weaver. Beaver, Cleaver, 1260 KYA. Okay, they figured me out. Sure didn't take long. Wink.com, that's W-I-N-C, Wink.com, a home delivery wine club that you really need to know about, has this tremendous feature where they send out a brief survey. And you fill it out based on your taste. They suggest different wines. And the wine they picked for me is fantastic. And it's the kind of thing where I don't really know wine. So I can't really go to a vineyard and taste 15 selections and go, oh, yes, no, this is exactly what I want. No, this is a a little too fruit forward for my taste. No, but... They figured it out, and I now get sent right to my home delicious, fantastic wine. It's only $13 a bottle. It's called Wink.com. It's really an ingenious idea, a home delivery wine club. And right now, I would like to give you guys an introductory offer, since you're such loyal listeners of this podcast. So how about this? $22 off of your first order. And all you have to do is go to wink.com, again, W-I-N-C, and then you type in slash Hollywood. And it gets even better. They will actually pay for your shipping on orders of four bottles or more. So what are you waiting for? If you like wine, and come on, who doesn't? How about getting wine that's perfect for you at a very reasonable price and You don't have to go out to Costco or wherever to get it. Again, $22 off of your first order, and all you got to do is just go to wink.com slash Hollywood. Hollywood and the fine. Who hasn't pulled a prank phone call at one time or another in your life? You know, calling the liquor store and saying, do you have Prince Albert in a can? Ha, ha, ha. Well, for disc jockeys, this particular trope has been a mainstay A lot of disc jockeys will do prank phone calls on the air. Rick Dees used to do this a lot. But by far, the best, the most original, the funniest, was a disc jockey out of Cincinnati named Gary Burbank. 
And for years, he was the afternoon jock on WLW, the big one, just a monster clear channel radio station. And so lots and lots of people in the Midwest are familiar with him. Well, he used to do phone calls, and this is just one example of his brilliance. The name he uses in this particular call is Gilbert Gnarly, but it really is Gary Burbank. Give a listen. Uh, hello? Yes! Uh, is this the Reverend Jordine, uh, uh, God-gifted problem-solver and medicine man? Uh, yes, it is. My name is Gilbert Darley, G-N-A-R-N-E-Y. Yes. And I'm very glad I reached you because I have an emergency. How can I help you? Well, last night, see, I was watching TV. I don't know if you saw it. It was that special tribute to the Partridge family's Danny Bonaduce. Yeah. He's one of my favorites. Anyway, my lottery number came up on the screen. Your, your what? My lottery number. And, you know, at first I didn't believe it, but then I realized that those were the numbers that I play every week. Well, brother, how can I help you? Well, <laughs> I can't find the ticket. And I was calling you because I think you're, you're a psychic and you do voodoo curses and psychic stuff. Um... I'm a psychic, yeah. I was, I was uh, wearing my blue coat. I know that when I bought the ticket. And you know the one I'm talking about, the blue coat with the brass buttons with the anchors on them? Uh, um, uh, yes, I do. Yes, yes I do. yeah, that's the one I wear. Yeah, I knew you would know that. See, okay, now, I think I put that ticket in the jacket breast pocket. But I cannot find the jacket, see? Yeah. And I always hang the jacket on the rack in the front hall. So okay. that I can't find it. Listen, I think I can help you. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh. Okay, oh. but well, first, okay, first you're going to need to do something for me, okay? So I'll be more than anything, All anything. Right. You're going to need to send me your name and your address, and you're going to need to send me a money order. I don't want cash, no, okay? I don't want cash. No cash. You okay. just, send you me want a money order for money two. Money order. Send me a money order I for I can two. get that in the drugstore. Yeah, send I, me a money order for two. No, no, wait a minute. How, how much did you say you were going to win in this? Oh, I could win upwards of over uh, $100,000. Okay. Now, i tell you what I'm going to... Oh, wait a minute. Now, see, the only problem is, is we would not be able to do this because, see, I've got to have that lottery ticket by noon tomorrow, and I don't have time to, uh, to, to send you anything. You're just going to have to trust me. I can't help you until I get the money. Well... Yeah, I realize because, you know, this is a business. And, I mean, you do this, your, your God-given talent, you must... Uh, I'll tell you, I don't understand why I can't find it either, you know. Uh, it it could have been my maid. I have this wonderful lady who is, who is a house lady that helps me out. She's Portuguese yeah. or Siamese or something like that. Uh, she uh, doesn't speak any English, and she moves my things around all the time. I was thinking maybe she may have misplaced my jacket. You know, she's such a strange lady. <laughs> Even when she irons, you know, she, she doesn't iron clothes. What she does is she'll take your pants or your coat or something, and to iron it, she puts it uh, between the box springs and the mattress of the bed. <laughs> She's a wonderful lady, but I thought she may have put it in the closet, or I thought she might have put it somewhere in the house or maybe packed it with my winter clothes, but I looked through all that, and it's just Excuse nowhere me, to be found. Okay, now you, you tell me you have to have this ticket by tomorrow. Yeah, I've got to have it by noon tomorrow. Okay, now I, 
I run a business here. I understand I mean, that. I, I don't have any other way of supporting myself. I understand that. And, uh, and therefore, I need I need to have income. You understand? I understand that uh, to pay for the phone lines and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I've got to have... I've got to have some kind of. What reason. if I, you know, I would be glad to split this with you if I could, if you'd help me find the ticket. I know there's no other way but to 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 do it this way. I think that would be marvelous. I think that would be. Yeah, okay, you, generous. you know, you have my word. You know, listen, I would split this with you if we found this ticket. Possibly, I can help you. Okay. Possibly. Okay. Where should I look? You say, you say you made, but these things, your clothes, right? In between the mattress and the springs, is that right? Yeah. Well, did you look there? I know. I didn't look. I've looked everywhere. Else. Well, why don't you go look? Let there. me go. Can, uh, can you hold on here? Sure. I'm going to come right by. Uh, it's just in the next room, okay? Yeah. Okay. Oh, joy! Oh, wonderful! <laughs> It wasn't there. Uh, no, no wait yeah, it wasn't wait a there. Wait a minute. Yeah. I, I heard you. I heard you. What? I, I heard you say that you found it. You were excited. Well, no, that. Oh, no. I was. You know what? What was. I was seeing when I was in there. Uh, so I just remembered I was what I was going to have for lunch. Oh. Uh, pimento cheese sandwiches. I love pimento cheese. And I always get very happy when I remember I'm going to have pimento cheese sandwich for lunch. But no, I guess I didn't find it. But thanks a lot for the help. I don't think you're playing fair with me. I don't uh -uh. think this is. Well, I wish I'd found it. I really wish I had. Well, I gotta go have my pimento cheese for lunch now. It's been real nice talking to you. <laughs> okay, I really didn't find it. I wish I had cheese wheels, okay? One of the funniest disc jockeys I have ever heard, and I hope to get him on the show here someday, Gary Burbank. This is Hollywood and Levine coming back with more right after this. That will do it for this episode of Hollywood and Levine. Our thanks to Adam and Susie Butler, John Wolfert, Howard Hoffman, and Randy Thomas. If you have not subscribed, please do that. I will see you again next week. Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye.